And this week, I, I have to admit also that uh, uh, watching on the screen the last few days, uh, uh, things that seem so, so senseless and uh, so, so evil, so wrong, And I thought about that again this morning as I'm sitting there. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to offer a prayer this morning, and you can join me uh, for France, uh, for Paris, uh, for those families. So let's just take a moment to do that. Heavenly Father, uh, sometimes what unfolds before us in this world seems so horrific, God, that we do not comprehend it. And Father, we just simply bow down before the sovereignty of God and leave some of those questions in your hand. But Father, I think this morning of that country, I think about the pain that the country and the city is feeling. And Father, I think about the countless families who have been touched by what seems such an unspeakable horror. And I pray that, Father, in some way, tragedy could have, have ways of speaking to a God who is good. So, Father, we as a church, uh, Father, our words are, are far from the right ones, and we leave it to your hands and ask for the for comfort for those homes and families. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. I had a conversation with my uh, brother, uh, it might have been last week, uh, I have a brother who is exactly a year and a day older than I am, and, and probably somewhat wiser than I am. I told him I was going to speak on, on Sunday, and I was actually going to uh, venture uh, into the world of politics. And he said, well, are you prepared for that to be the last sermon you'll ever preach at Creekside Church? And I said to him, well, I think, I think we can maybe speak about politics without necessarily becoming political. And when Eva asked me, you know, you know, whether I was going to speak or have a message or a sermon, I, I said, well, I'm going to speak, but I don't think I'd call it necessarily a sermon or a message, but I hope it's something that would cause us to consider a few things as children of God. So those of you who may be here for the first time, and I know that some of you are, and you're going to say, man, I came to the church, and the first thing you know, the pastor is speaking about politics. And so I, I hope that uh, you will come back, even if this conversation doesn't sit well with you. But, uh, you know, as children of God and as a church, I believe God calls us to respond and to react within the world that we live as citizens of a kingdom that is not of this world. 
that quite literally as children of God, we are first and foremost citizens of heaven. And you might say, secondly, we are citizens of this amazing country of Canada for which we should continue to give thanks. But as citizens of heaven, I wonder sometimes, and I want to ask this question this morning, about how invested should we be as men and women? Uh, How invested should we as a church be in the political issues of the day? And what should that response look like? What should that response sound like from the church? I think sometimes of Paul. Uh, Paul was a highly educated, a highly intelligent man. A man whose knowledge and convictions initially fueled his passion to actually persecute the church. And then God intercepts Paul's life, transforms his thinking, and suddenly the same Paul is now willing to suffer persecution himself for the cause of Christ and for the cause of the church. And I want to say that faith in God did not render Paul's intelligence or his education somehow unimportant or irrelevant. That God took everything about Paul, including his mind, and transformed it. Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke, the writer of Acts, was a doctor. You might also say that Luke was a bit of a historian. He was a co-worker and a traveling companion of Paul. So you have Paul and you have Luke, two of the most prolific writers of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, who became consumed with sharing the gospel of the kingdom of God of a kingdom that is not of this world. That was their passion. And I wondered this week, did Luke or Paul hold opinions or views on the political issues of their day? Whatever that might have been, first century. I think they likely did, and I think it would have been interesting and probably insightful to hear their perspectives about the world that they lived in, it would have likely been worthwhile sitting down and listening to them talk about the issues of the day. And we often see Paul in conversation with influential people of that time. And they obviously found Paul worthwhile listening to because he was an intelligent thoughtful, well-reasoned, sober-minded man. At times it seems to me that as children of God, we are portrayed as close-minded, sometimes narrow-minded people. That sometimes we tend to offer simplistic answers to very difficult questions. 
Some would say that somehow by embracing faith, we either stopped thinking or we suddenly all started to think alike. And as children of God, as people of faith, as ambassadors primarily for Christ in this world, I think we need to be careful not to add credibility to some of those perceptions or accusations. That while we are called to be of one mind when it comes to matters of faith, and I want to talk about that next week, what does it mean to be of one mind as children of God? Being of one mind does not necessarily mean we always think alike. And I thought about this over the past probably month or so in many conversations I've had with different people related to the political issues of the day. I mean, we've just concluded an election in Canada and the U.S. is in the middle one, in the middle of one. And many issues come up for debate. And I want to suggest to us that there is no easy There is no automatic Christian response to every issue we face. On some issues, we likely, as a faith community, share a similar viewpoint. But I think there are likely far more issues where differences of opinion exist even within the family of God. And I think we need to avoid restricting one another as brothers and sisters by expecting or even demanding that our opinions on any number of issues should fit into a Christian box. Sometimes the Christian box of appropriate opinion seems to have very narrow boundaries. And sometimes we can find ourselves holding positions that I would say are loosely formed but firmly held. That I'd have to admit, you know, I really haven't thought this through very well, but I've made a decision and I'm sticking to it. I think James in the Bible offers good advice when he says to us, be slow to speak. And be quick to listen. I think it's good advice in relationships. I think it's also good advice when it comes to considering the issues of the day. So you might ask, Doug, I'm kind of curious, what kind of issues are you referring to? And so without being political, I want to say these are some of the issues that have crossed my mind. how we as Christians choose to vote. Perspectives that we may hold within the family of God on environmental issues. Opinions we might hold on the tough on crime or the war on drugs policies of the day. Views we may hold on immigration. And as I thought about that one, I thought you can respond to the immigration issue from a place of fear. 
you can respond to the immigration issue from a place of compassion. And in the middle of those two, there's an incredible amount of room for conversation and wisdom. I think there are so many social issues where a Christian perspective is neither obvious nor unanimous, and where it might be good for us to do, as James said, be willing to listen carefully and be slow to speak. And you may say, well, Doug, I'm kind of a black and white person. I think if you interpret that, what it means to be black and white, I think it kind of means I'm pretty sure that I'm right and you're wrong. Yet most of the challenges or issues that even our society face seem to me to occupy the gray zone. And I believe we need to use the gray matter God has given us in order to be a useful voice in all these conversations. I'll admit some of these conversations come up at times uh, in men's prayer. Some of these conversations came up when I went to visit my 86-year-old mom last week. She wanted to engage me on some things, and uh, some of the um, conversations happened in the hallways, hallway of church. And I, I mean, part of me wants to share some of that, but I'm going to choose not to. In those conversations, some people said things that I'm just going to say I would not have expected them to say because they sort of stepped out of this box that I think we sometimes can feel almost trapped in. So I heard my mom say things, and I thought, wow. I heard people in the hallway of church make some comments we were looking at that time for the pot that belonged to Cape Workington, but the conversation steered to pot of a different nature. And I just found myself hearing some conversations and some responses that caused me to think, wow. And none of it shattered me, none of it shattered my faith. In fact, it was good to hear perspectives that maybe you would not necessarily always hear, expect to hear within the context of the family of God. I think we need to value the intelligent, well-reasoned minds that people of faith can bring into the political issues of life. And I want to suggest this morning, and maybe it's, this is simply my first point, that we need to give each other some latitude. Uh, we need to listen carefully to people who may offer a different perspective than our own because likely if we listen, we will find that it broadens, perhaps refines, and sometimes may even redefine our own position. Secondly, I thought, what about the church? The church itself as an as an agent for change within the world we live. What role does the church have to play in the politics of the day? 
You might even question, does it have a role? It's a little bit difficult considering that question within a Canadian context because if there is an influence, it's a subtle one. But if we look to our neighbors to the south, you can ask the question about how that experiment is going where the church, the religious community, is directly involved in the politics of the day. In the U.S., the religious right, uh, sometimes it's called the moral majority. Uh, I think it may also at times be called the Christian coalition. All of those movements represent the church's intentional decision to enter the political fray in order to influence the politics and policies of the day. And this block of voters is sometimes simply referred to as the evangelical vote is pandered to by politicians of every stripe. Not because they necessarily share their faith perspective, but simply because they covet their vote. And I think the church can become a pawn in the political process. And in my humble opinion, and I realize it's mine, in its desire to right the wrongs of society through political influence, the church can find itself in some strange alliances. Aligned sometimes with perspectives, positions, and policies that I say bear very little resemblance to the teachings of Jesus if you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Or the reminder of Jesus where he said, and I think we need to absolutely focus on this when Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. A Christian writer gave this evaluation of what I'll call the U.S. experiment that continues to happen. If you listen to the presidential debates, it becomes part of all of that conversation. I think there's a slide, yeah. At some point during the 1980s and 90s, a desire birthed among politically conservative Christians to begin to stand for things that mattered to them culturally in more active ways than before. And what followed was a groundswell of support for what would become known as the moral majority. Fast forward a few decades, and despite these efforts, evangelicals appear to be on the losing side for those who considered it a war. That's not a matter of preference or desire. It's a matter of numbers. That simple math shows that most of the core issues on which the religious right was focused are trending in the wrong direction from evangelical belief and practice. In a recent survey, pastors were given, and again, this is the United, in the United States, and I think the chart uh, we may have 
I'm not sure if you can read that. At the top it says, Many Christian leaders have talked about society being in a cultural war. And this question was asked of pastors, regardless of how you feel about that terminology, how would you explain the current condition? And the 10% that you see in blue there would say uh, 10% of Christians who believe that we as a church, as children of God, are winning this war. Overwhelming number of pastors, pretty much 60%, say Christians are losing this war. 11% say that we've already lost it. And 19% apparently don't know. You know, as I looked at that chart, I thought, you know, we can look at that and we can feel perhaps discouraged. We can feel disappointed. Or we can look at that chart and ask whether the church has become sidetracked and lost its focus. In an article I read just recently, the author suggested that even in the eyes of the world, so people outside of the faith community, they see that the church and its desire to be a political force within the kingdoms of this world has lost its call to be a spiritual force in the lives of men, women, and children. I think at times we risk being perceived as the sin police of the world. Which I think is a bit of an irony. Given that God, through Jesus Christ, chose to deal with you and me as sinners, not in a punitive way, but through eyes of compassion, mercy, grace, and forgiveness. That our call as men and women of God, our call as a church is to spread the good news that God, through Jesus Christ, offers redemption, reconciliation, healing to a fallen and broken world. At times, high-powered and I would say probably influential evangelical leaders appear on mainstream media people within the evangelical community being given a platform to speak on behalf of the church. And I am not convinced that that necessarily enhances the kingdom of God or the message of the church. I think if Paul had been given that kind of a platform, platform which I would say he often was given. I am convinced that Paul would have used that platform simply to boldly declare the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you were to ask Paul maybe how we as a church could influence the world in which we live, he would very likely encourage us to let our love within the church be the voice that speaks the loudest into our world. 
Luke and Paul, I think, may very well have held opinions on the issues of their day. But when you read the Bible, those issues did not motivate them or inspire them. There is such a single-mindedness about Luke and Paul that I think should motivate us as a church to seek first and to speak first to the kingdom of God and not into the kingdoms of this world. I think it's Acts 17 that um, sort of came to my mind as I was thinking about this and about opportunities that Paul had to speak to important people of his day. And that's a long passage, but I, but I think it's good. And it says, he, that's Paul, also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. And when he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. I'm going to say it's probably the highest platform that they could have given someone in which to speak. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. And I think it talks about Paul's preoccupation with finding talking points within culture and using those talking points to share the gospel. He says, Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. And since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live, we move, and we exist. And as some of your own poets had said, and I just found that interesting that Paul would be 100% aware of the literature of the day, some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice, by the man he has appointed, Jesus, and he approved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. As I read that, I try to picture Paul in front of this 
council of the city. Such a powerful proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. And that ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him, and some became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. As I read that text, I thought of Paul walking through the streets of Athens, not not as a tourist, but simply as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Paul getting a sense of what made that great city tick and using everything he could see as a springboard for talking about the gospel. As I wrap up this morning, I I want to encourage us, and I'm just going to kind of highlight the two things that I think I've said. And I want to encourage us as children of God to keep our minds open to those who share different perspectives when it comes to the issues of the day. Encourage us to give each other more latitude and freedom that being of one mind doesn't necessarily mean we have to all think alike. God, help us to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Secondly, and more importantly, I pray that God would help us as a church to understand our role, our mission, and our message within the world in which we live. To be more single-minded in how we choose to live out our lives. Matthew says we're called to be salt, we're called to be light, we're not called to be judges. As a church, our call is to welcome people into a conversation about a kingdom that knows absolutely no boundaries. It's a kingdom offered freely to all who accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in a very real way, it is the message and the mission that Chris Wink spoke to so clearly last Sunday. In his story about a young pastor in northern India who, very much like Paul, as that young pastor walked through the streets of the villages, he saw every person and every conversation as an opportunity to simply share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to pray this morning that God would make it clear in our own hearts and minds as his children what our role what our mission, what our message in this world is, and that God would help us as a church to move in that direction. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Uh, Father, I think it is sometimes easy to get um, almost sidetracked with the issues of this day. Father, I would just pray that you speak into our lives that first and foremost we are called to be ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, help us, even as Paul and other people, even within the world today, so boldly are willing to proclaim who you are. 
Father, that people around us could come to know you, be able to say that you are their father and that they are a child who you love. So, Father, I thank you for this time together this morning as your church. I thank you for the testimony of healing that Bill shared. I thank you for the music, and God, would you go with us and speak to us every day, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.